Good morning, church. I'm T.C. Fong. I'm here to share my testimony in claiming one of God's promises in Matthew 6:33 to help me to make a major decision in my life that affects my family, my career for the last 20 years. Please allow me to give a little background of myself in order to establish the context of my situation. I was born and raised in Hong Kong. I came to America with my family, my wife and my two children at the age of 35 in January 28, 1992, with a work visa from my former employer, Mobile Corporation. My children were a little kids by then, uh, age four and 18 months old. Three years later, my former employer sent me back to Shanghai, China. That was in 1995, and living condition for a young family was not very desirable. By December 1996, my wife and I decided to have her and the children returning to Fairfax first while I was waiting for my reassignment of my job and the location. The announcement came out in January. I was assigned to Beijing, China. We decided that the family would continue to stay in Fairfax. By then, I told people that I commute 9,000 miles to work. Fast forward. It was April 1998. My wife and children has been attending Chinchilly Bible by that point. Remember that we used to meet at a barn along Oxford. It was the week of Easter. I came home to visit the family. During that time, my wife was studying Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. With the ladies at the church, my wife bought me an extra copy. So I was home, woke up around 3, 4 in the morning with a jet lag. I start to open the book to study a chapter at a time. One day, I must be on the chapter of trusting God to provide. The key verse was Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. A visual came to my mind, and I draw that on the page of the book. There were two lines hanging down from the sky. One represents God's provision. The other represents the former employer, Mobile Oil Corporation. Of course, one will ask, are these two lines mutually exclusive that you have to choose? Does God provide you via your employer? Yes, in a way. But knowing the culture of the company, once you get into the traveling circuit of the company, they expect you to travel and live like gypsy, moving from one location to other every other year. Maybe some perspective can help you to understand the situation better. Kenneth was at first grade by then, he has been attending four different schools. We do not believe that this is the way that God wants us to raise our children. So I decided at that moment that I should resign and return home and have an opportunity to provide stable environment for our children to grow up. Obviously, you expect me to say life is good thereafter. To be honest, I was focusing on God's provision part on the verse without paying much attention to seeking first His kingdom and righteousness as I make that decision to resign from a company that has provided me and my family very well for the last 17 years. I've learned the meaning of trusting God throughout the last 20 plus years. Praise God, He's always faithful. Even though I did not fully comprehend the nature of this promise, He continues to guide me through as I study the book of Matthew more, particularly chapter 5, 6, and 7. I may not have fully comprehended the meaning of the verse from a theological sense. However, I learned that as Pastor May will share in a moment that when we trust and put God first, He meet our needs. It is a lifelong learning experience, and I'm still learning. Thank you.
Welcome, everyone. It's so good to see all of you here uh, in person, and welcome those of you who are worshiping with us at home. I'm grateful for TC and others who have been willing to come and share their hearts like that. I'm also grateful for Kyle, even though he's on a missions trip in Utah, being able to put that video together. What a, what a blessing it is to serve alongside of the staff God has raised up here. Today, as we uh, continue in our summer sermon series, so that's a blah, blah, summer sermon series, that was quite a mouthful. We're going to be studying Matthew chapter 6, so I want to invite you to turn there. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be uh, specifically the promises that uh, TC pointed out were in verses 33 and 34. And to familiarize yourselves and me as well, before we dig into that text, I'd like to place the, uh, the, the verses up onto the screens so that we might uh, read them out loud together. Okay, so let me go ahead and put those up. And would you please join me in reading the words of Christ here in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is the day of his own troubles. Um, may the Lord add his blessing to his word. Observe, please, that verse 33 begins with the conjunction, conjunction but here. And that lets us know that this verse is not a standalone verse. In fact, we'll see today that this is a command and promise of Jesus here uh, in verse 33 is actually something, a continuation of a conversation that he has been carrying on in this the Sermon of the Mount, starting in verse 25, and we'll see ending here in verse 34. Notice, in fact, as I say that, verse 34 ends uh, or begins with the conjunctive uh, adverb here, therefore... And its presence here tells us that it requires a conclusion or a response to what has already been said by Jesus. And that's certainly the case here as we look at this section of the Sermon on the Mount here, where Jesus commands us, his disciples, to trust him and to stop worrying. Easier said than done, huh? But the truth being said here that I think if we're honest with ourselves, myself included, we all worry just a little bit. Any other worriers here besides me? I see a few hands. The rest of you aren't willing to show us. But uh, I think back for a moment over this last week, you know, and I think we don't even realize how much we worry during the day. We, we wake up 10 minutes late, right? Uh, and, and 10 minutes later than we had hoped, and anxiety already starts to well up in our hearts, creeps in. Uh, what if I'm late? Or what about the traffic? Or what's the weather going to be like? You pass by that mirror and you see those wrinkles on your face and you start, oh, I'm looking older, you know. You, you rush downstairs and as you're getting your kids ready for school, you realize that, that you, you forgot again to help them with their homework. And you start thinking, oh my goodness, is everyone going to think I'm a failure as a parent? And then later you drop the kids off at school and, and you worry that they're going to get in with the wrong crowd or they're going to fall off the monkey bars or these days something a whole lot worse, huh? Once you get home, you pull out the Facebook and you start to unwind there and you start reading all the awesome uh, pictures and stories there. Wonderful kids, jobs, families, various vacation pictures and experiences. And suddenly you start finding yourself struggling with feelings of inadequacy and anxiety and worry. Is my life really as good as everyone else's? Later that morning, you feel pain in your knee and you start saying, Oh, I hope that doesn't require surgery. And if I do have surgery, how in the world am I going to pay for it? Is my insurance going to pay for it? Who's going to take care of my family if I do have to have surgery? And uh, hours later, 
When you put your kids into bed, you turn on the television to unwind and watch the news. That's always a cheerful subject, right? Um, you see things about our economy, the global warming, the rise of crime in our cities, the racial and the political div divisions that exist in our country, and, and how you start worrying, how am I going to talk to my friends who might see things a little bit differently? And finally, at least this is true of me, my body goes down in my bed, but my mind keeps going. My heart keeps going. At night, you start saying, you start worrying about your kids and your parents and your church and your health and your flying, your driving, your eating, your sleeping, and, and generally a fear of what's going to be ahead tomorrow. <laughs> Can anybody relate? Anybody relate? And, and here's the thing. Scientists have linked worry with all the leading causes of death, including accidents, heart disease, ulcers, um, cancer, lung ailments, um, and suicide. Psoriasis is the word I couldn't say. Um, and add to these health concerns the mental fatigue of, uh, of nights without getting a good night's rest and, and the peace that you lack during the day. And you get just a small glimpse, I think, of the destruction and the havoc that worry plays on the quality and the quantity of our lives. Truly, as Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25 accurately depicts, it tells the truth of many of us, I think, today, that worry, listen to the wording, weighs down the heart. Worrying weighs down the heart. But today we're going to see that Jesus will remind us in this passage that while life will provide us with unteen reasons to, to worry, we can, in fact, choose to respond to them differently because we're going to see a promise that I hope you'll hear very clearly today that when we trust God and when we put him first, he meets our needs. He meets our needs. I want to be clarified that needs, okay, not necessarily our wants, but our needs. And it's with these opening thoughts in mind this morning, I hope you've opened your Bibles to chapter 6, and I hope you're taking notes too, because I think this is a relevant topic, not that any week isn't true, but I really believe this is one that we could all learn from. Four reasons to stop worrying, okay, from Jesus himself. Reason number one, worry pulls us apart. Worrying pulls us apart. Look at verse 25. Here Jesus commands us saying, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not, he asks, not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Now interestingly, the word translated to be anxious comes from a Greek word that means to be divided or to be drawn in different directions. And if you think about it, that's what worry how worry affects us. One minute we're living in the right now, the real world. The next minute we're dwelling on all of the potential possibilities, what I often call the what is rather than what's real, okay? Interestingly, as you look at the text here, Jesus very specifically focuses on our basic needs, food and clothing, but we, if we're honest, fret about a whole lot of other things. What if my child gets hurt? What if this afternoon the list of layoffs and my employer includes my name? What if hope for love never comes? What if that lump is cancerous? What if I fail? What if I can't make it through tomorrow or tomorrow never comes? One minute, folks, we are living and thinking as those who have been set apart, saved, and created to live for God's kingdom and his glory. And the next minute we're being sweeped into, we find ourselves straying towards trusting in our own strength, 
our own wisdom and our own resources, which are never, I'm sure you know, sufficient to deal with life's concerns. Now, that's not to say that we should not be at all, and I think TC brought this out, concerned about the material things in life or providing for the needs of my family or our family. Those are not frivolous concerns. However, I believe there is a big difference between worrying and genuine concern. Worry is that anxious care that comes upon us when we assume responsibilities over things we are incapable of performing or that we have no control over whatsoever. Worry literally immobilizes us. Concern, on the other hand, always moves us to take the appropriate actions and practical actions necessary to work through that problem. All the time, don't miss this, all the time, knowing ultimately that we need to be trusting in God for our needs and our cares. Jesus concludes verse 25 with this question. Is not life more than food you put, on your uh, you put into your stomach and clothing you wear on your body? And folks, the bottom line is this. Anxiety brings no real value to our lives. Instead, uh, it's con it, it concerns our mind. It occupies our time and our hearts, distracting us from what is real and what is important. And worry, I hope you'll see today, is totally unnecessary because Jesus is teaching us here. He is promising us here. If we will trust him, if we will put him first, he will meet our needs. Reason number two, worry is unreasonable. Worry is unreasonable. Looking to the birds, look at what Jesus declares in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are. That word look here is an imperative. It is a command. It means to seriously consider, to learn thoroughly from their example. And so what's Jesus's point here? Again, I want to reemphasize, when Jesus tells us not to worry about life, he's not giving us an excuse to neglect our plan for our futures. Furthermore, when Jesus tells us not to worry about food and shelter and so forth, he's not giving us an excuse to quit our jobs, stay in our pajamas all day, eat Cheetos, and watch reruns of Law and Order all day, okay? Remember the birds that Jesus is pointing to here. Think about them for a minute. They do not worry. However, they still work. They still gather food for themselves. They still make nests, and they have to run continually from those nasty little kitties that want to eat them. Okay? However, they do all those things without paralyzing fear and worry because they do those things within the care and provision of God. And the principle that I see in this next point here is that Jesus is teaching us that if God cares for the lesser things and values for them and, and, and meets their needs, how unreasonable it is for us as his children who are of greater value to worry. As Jesus promises us here, when we are willing to put God first and to trust him, he will meet our needs. And he reemphasizes that in verses 28 through 30 when he now says, consider the lilies. Look at what he says. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? The lilies of the field, Jesus explains here, are here today 
and they're gone tomorrow. They're beautiful, but they're here and gone tomorrow. And if God cares so tenderly for these short-lived wildflowers, how much more, brothers and sisters in Christ, will he care for those of great value to him? Now, Jesus wraps up this section of the sermon declaring the real issue is trust. It's our faith. Jesus' words here are very stinging. O ye of little faith, it runs throughout the Gospel of Matthew as kind of a refrain reminding his disciples of their wavering trust. And I would submit to you perhaps ours as well. I thought to myself, why such tenderness in this rebuke? Well, because I think their faith, though little, was genuine. And then I thought, well, why such rebuke is in, in this tenderness? Because, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, their faith, though genuine, was smaller than it should have been. And perhaps so is ours, too. George Mueller, a man of great faith, once said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. You know, I thought to myself, and I'll ask you the same question, if all of nature knows that God will meet their needs, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? And let's not forget, church, that Jesus promises here that when you and I will put our trust and put God first, he will meet our needs. Well, jumping back to verse 27, reason number three is worry is useless. Verse 27, Jesus asked the question, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour of span of his, to his life? That pretty much sums it up. A wise man once said, Worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but doesn't get you anywhere. For example, someone here today may have a child who has decided to go his or her own way on a destructive path or lifestyle. How much, I ask, will your worrying about that child affect the outcome or that situation? Some of us may have a sick family member who we're worrying about today. And again, I would ask, how much is our worrying going to change the outcome? We may be afraid and worried, as I mentioned earlier, that we've heard rumors that we're downsizing in our company. But will worrying really change the outcome of that decision? You know, folks, when you think about it, everything that we worry about can fall into one of two categories. Things we can't do anything whatsoever about, and things that we can. And here's the thing, it sounds simple. When we can do something about it, what worries us, we need to take the appropriate action. For for those things we have no control about, or we can do nothing about, Jesus is telling us it's wasted energy to worry because it will not change the outcome. It will, however, change us. Ironically, Christians, there are Christians who shun alcohol or sweets or too many carbs or tobacco because they, they feel it's harmful to their bodies, and yet that very same person will worry themselves to an early grave. Folks, worry is not just a harmless pastime. It's a serious, serious problem. And according to Jesus, it is unsuitable for God's children because when we trust him and we put God first, he will meet our needs. It's unsuitable. And that, my friends, is the fourth reason. 
Worry is an unsuitable behavior for God's children to partake in. Pointing back to the tender care of the birds and the lilies, look at what God, Jesus says here in verse 31 and 32. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Observe, brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus points out that when we worry about our concerns, especially our basic needs, it puts us in the very same category of those who don't know God. It's acting and responding to our concerns as though God doesn't care, we don't believe he cares, or that he's incapable of caring and meeting our needs. Listen, instructs Jesus, our Heavenly Father takes very, very seriously the responsibility of caring and meeting the needs of his children. Does that mean we'll never worry? <laughs> of course not. Um, but I love the admonishment that uh, Pastor David Jeremiah makes in his book, uh, Slaying the Giants of Life, when he writes this. And I can totally relate to this, see if you can too. Do I ever worry? Of course I do. I've raised four children to adulthood, and that qualifies me as an expert on the subject. But for me, worry is a small town I pass through, not a place I hang my hat. It's a momentary phase, not a lifestyle. In contrast, he goes on to warn, for many people, worry becomes so ingrained in their personalities that once the old worries are gone, they search out for themselves new ones. They become so dependent on worry as a lens through which they view life that they have forgotten all about any other way to live. How sad. Now, I doubt anybody wants to live that way, to be that debilitated by our worries. And so for the remainder of the time we have left, I want to look here at God's word and what it says about God's remedies for winning over worry. Remedy number one. Jesus says here, Brothers and sisters in Christ, don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. Look at verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. And we just sang this a few moments ago in, I think, the second song. Simply said, God is commanding us here to trust that he'll give us enough strength each day to face each day as it comes. Corey Tim Boom captures this wisdom very well in letting each day's trouble be enough for that day when she writes this. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Listen to this. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Folks, the bottom line is this. Do you, do I genuinely believe today, Jesus' promise here, that when we trust him and we put him first, he will meet our needs. Remedy number two, we need to reestablish our priorities. Look again at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Breaking down the key parts of this command, notice first of all that Jesus highlights here the need for uh, us to understand the now and not yet kingdom of God. Now what do I mean by that? Here I believe Jesus is acknowledging that while the kingdom of God 
is currently existing in the world today because he's reigning on his throne in heaven. It is not yet in its fullness until after his second coming when he will physically reign on the earth during the millennial king. That's what we have to look forward to. And here's the thing. Both the now and not yet kingdom of God are of equal and great importance to us if we are seeking to be obedient, trusting followers of Jesus. Now, how should this impact us? Notice first that Jesus is calling his disciples to pursue God's righteousness in our lives and our ministries. To be righteous is to be right with God. And you say, well, Milt, how is that possible? Well, praise God. This is where the gospel comes in. When we place our trust in Jesus Christ because of his once for all substitutionary death on the cross, our sin debt is paid in full. And the righteousness of Christ is then credited to us. And here's the thing, amazingly, that uh, positional righteousness does not change and it cannot be earned. It is given as a free gift, hear me, free gift from God when we place our trust in Jesus as our Savior. On the cross, astonishingly, this always blows my mind, Jesus was treated as if he was a sinner, though, even though he was perfectly holy and pure. And we are given the treatment as if we are righteous, though we are defiled and sinful. That is the good news of the gospel that we celebrate today. On account of what Jesus, our Lord and Savior, has endured on our behalf, when we place our trust, brothers and sisters in Christ, God no longer sees us, he no longer is accepting us as separated and lost sinners, but as those who possess the holy righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day when Christ returns, we will experience this complete transformation, being fully and physically set apart from sin to God for all eternity. Again, that is what we to look forward. In the meantime, we, until that time when he returns, we are commanded by Jesus here to make it our top priority to pursue a life of righteousness, practical righteousness, becoming in reality who we are practically or positionally in Jesus, which means a wholehearted realization that sin does not please God and devoting our lives to being obedient to God by becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And so the main point I take from this Jesus is making here in this command as disciples of Christ, we, brothers and sisters in Christ, should be constantly seeking a first importance, top priority, to live a life of righteousness, unreserved obedience and devotion to our King, seeking His agenda with all our hearts. And don't miss this. Please don't miss this. According to verse 34, with this command comes the promise that when we trust and we put God first, he will meet our needs. Remedy number three, prayer, pray about everything. If we were to look back at verse eight of chapter six, we would see that our heavenly father knows what our needs are before we even ask him. But the very next verses he includes in that passage is our need to ask for him in prayer. Likewise, in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, God in his word says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, and don't miss this, with thanksgiving. We often skip over that. Let your request be made known to God. And verse 7 says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts, and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can you see it, church? Do you hear it, church? 
essentially God in his word is telling us, a, a believer, don't worry about anything and pray about everything. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And as we do, verse 7 says, God's peace, which transcends all our understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Pray about everything, worry about nothing. Remedy number four, we need to read and meditate daily on God's word. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I thought I included that, but I guess I didn't. Likewise, in Psalm 1, 1 through 3, we are told, blessed is the man. And that means totally uh, fulfilled, satisfied. It's the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the uh, seat of scoffers. But, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Listen to the description of that person's quality of life and fruitfulness. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in a season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. A few years ago, when I first got married, it's been a lot more years than that, I guess I'm underestimating here, um, I went for a physical. And my doctor, who was a Christian at the time, he uh, was examining me and he said, Milt, you've got a heart problem. You know, he knew me very well. He partly raised me. He said, you worry way too much. You are not giving your cares to the Lord the way you need to. And he said, can I make a suggestion? He said, you know, it is no more difficult to take those same skills you do when you worry and apply them to the meditation of Scripture. Meditation, he said, is simply focusing on one thought or one passage over and over again. And so he went on to advise me to take those skills that I use for worry and instead meditate on the promises of God's word. What does that look like? By the way, that's changed my life forever. Start with small portions of scripture. Read that passage slowly, perhaps out loud a few times, emphasizing different words or different phrases in that text. Second, reflect on that truth. The purpose of scriptures you see is not simply to learn a bunch of knowledge on facts and figures and information about God. God's desire is that we get in the word so that we might have a more deeper and more intimate trust and relationship with him. Third, prayerfully respond to God in light of what you've read over and over again in that, in, in that text. This, this can be done quietly or in your hearts throughout the day. And four, rest in that word. Listen to what God has to say and be willing to allow his spirit to make the changes and the transformation that need to take place in your life. On a side note, Val and I were talking the other day. And while it's important to meditate on the truth, it's equally necessary if we want to win the victory over worry to not feed our minds with negative thoughts. And so I point you to Philippians 4.8 where the command is presented here. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, allow your mind think about these things. And so when it comes to our thoughts that we allow to dwell our, our hearts on, past, present, and future, consider these questions. What is true? What is noble? 
what is pure. Just as the text says, what is lovely, what is admirable, what is excellent and praiseworthy. This doesn't mean, by the way, you, you won't have negative thoughts come, but you are simply choosing to refuse to allow your mind to dwell on these things with the power of God's Holy Spirit. Pray about everything. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, remedy five, depend on the Holy Spirit's power and comfort. We see in John 16, 13, Jesus promises that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. One of the main ministries of uh, the Holy Spirit uh, is bringing comfort, encouragement, empowerment, understanding. He guides us, he nudges us, and he helps us to take the steps we need to have victories in life. And by the way, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, as he guides us, is he often reveals those sinful thought patterns that we've allowed to, to creep into our lives, those behaviors and attitudes that we often justify. And, he, and, and he, he challenges us to take ownership of those, confess them, and repent of them. And here's the thing, if we don't consider repentance, when we talk about worry, if we walk out of here saying, oh, well, um, that was a great message, Mill. I, I really, if we don't consider repentance in response to anxiety and, 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 and worry here, I'm talking about turning away from those false things we're believing and learning to trust in God daily. We are risking uh, having that problem be entrenched more and more in our lives. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit. And then sixth, so critical, we need to commit to a Christ-centered community. If you are a believer and have been a believer for any time, I'm sure you realize that maturity is a process that, uh, as uh, TC said, takes time. Lifelong, actually. However, I fear that many believers know less well that it also takes fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to make that, mature, uh, that maturity a reality as we do life together and serve Christ together. It is indeed a process that I think is revealed in the one another's of Scripture. Love one another. Forgive each other, right? Uh, regard one another as more highly than yourself. Teach, correct each other. Encourage each other. Pray for each other. Bear one another's burden. Serve one another, it says, and submit to one another out of reverence. And, and I'm just scratching the surface of the 50-plus one another's in Scripture. But I hope I've shared enough to remind us that we need a community of faith that is centered on Christ to worship and fellowship together with. That's why several years ago as an elder board, we decided to make one of our core values living in community. And personally, long before I became a pastor here or in those meetings, uh, the, the context of a Christ-centered community was uh, very important to me. And it was there truly that I learned as I did life together with other believers that that promise that Christ makes here in Matthew 6, became real and relevant in my life. That as I learned to trust and put God first, he meets our needs, meets my needs. I know I said a lot. Um, and I'm guessing, like me, as you're sitting out there, there are things you are worried about today, concerned about. I don't know what those things are, but I do know this. Folks, we serve a God who spoke the universe into its existence. He showed his love for you and me on the cross of Calvary when he died there for us. He proved his power over sin and over death when he rose from the grave. 
And I am firmly convinced, and I believe with all my heart, that a God like that can handle my worries and my concerns far, far better than I can. How about you? Can I get an amen on that? Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for this opportunity to look at these words of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that his promise here is so clear that as we trust and put you first, you will indeed meet our needs. Thank you for being that loving Heavenly Father. And help us, Lord, to take the appropriate steps, Lord, to get a victory over the concerns and worries that we allow to distract us. Thank you, Father, for the hope we have in Christ as we pray this in his name. Amen.